The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Everybody could gently return to having your eyes open and just being aware of where you're sitting and coming back into contact with the screen and other folks. Um, We'll have an opportunity now to, um, for some breakout groups, to talk a little bit among yourselves. And this is a, you can feel the different flavor of um, upeka or equanimity when it's offered in the context of the heart qualities. And there's a sense that um, it's a form of love really is a form of love, kind of in the way like the, when the sun shines on everything, there's the, the love part where it's warming everything up. That would be kind of the metta that we started with as the foundation. And then there's the sameness. There's the equality that the sun shines equally on everything. And this um, sense of non-discrimination is the equanimity portion And this balance that's always present um, and the nice linkage made is something that Diana will talk about later, the way all the Brahma Viharas are connected. But for our um, breakout groups, it would be nice um, if each of you could talk a little bit about what it means to you to think of equanimity or to experience equanimity as a form of love. You know, what what does that evoke for you? in your practice or in your daily life? Are there ways in which you're expressing this uh, universality and sameness and love of truth as a form of love? And I would say maybe groups of four would be good to have um, multiple voices. And it would be good, I think, to have this be a little bit meditative, kind of stay in this space that's close to your heart And if each person could share in turn for uh, just a couple of minutes, and I'll send a little note in the, you can look for it, it'll appear on the screen when it's time to shift to the next person. Um, And while somebody is sharing, uh, if the other people could just practice listening with an open heart, um, receiving the truth of what they're saying um, into their heart. that would be a lovely way to share. So we'll go around like that and there will hopefully be a little bit of time left at the end um, to share amongst yourselves briefly uh, before coming back so that you're not only speaking one at a time. So let's set the timer for perhaps um, 12 minutes and we'll try to have about two and a half minutes per person so there'll be a little time left at the end in a group of four. Um, And when you need to choose who to go first, if you could choose the person whose um, birthday is first in the year, so January birthday goes first and December birthday would go uh, last. Um, Okay, are the groups set up? So now we get to hear you, (laughs) hear from you. Maybe, uh, oh, and there's one person who needed to be admitted here. Um, Yeah. 
So we'd like to hear from you, any report from your sharing or um, any questions um, based on what we've been talked about and shared so far. You can, again, use your blue hand or, or unmute uh, directly. Okay, Barbara. Uh, I was just sharing with uh, my group, and uh, uh, I will just say that, admittedly, I never knew the depths of equanimity, uh, and uh, I have learned a lot about it uh, since uh, participating at, at IMC and certainly in, in, in this program, and uh, I lead with a, a, a clear uh, explanation and understanding of, of how to pro- apply it to my practice of, of meta. So I wanted to thank you for that. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, David. Yeah, all, all I wanted to say is I was struck by how different our responses were but at the same time by how much they um, involved an expression of the Dharma, love for the Dharma. So it it was almost like people maybe were drawn, inclined to one aspect a little more than the other, but it just all seemed to be good, you know, beautiful. So that's all I wanted to say. Great. Yeah, this is this uh, analogy of a curry, you know, all different spices and flavors. <laughs> you know, one day maybe we do cardamom, <laughs> the other day, I don't know, cumin. <laughs> yes, but they're all good. Yes. Um, Yen Kui. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I want to thank my group, too, for their different stories. I didn't get a chance to say this. It's like it's so different, and yet it resonated completely, each of your stories that you shared. And then I want to share with the larger group that I was contemplating equanimity in the face of great sorrow and in the face of great pleasure. <laughs> um, so with the sorrow parts, I'm facing one just currently with uh, my 15-year-old daughter, who is um, under just in a state of great despair and um, self-loathing, unhappiness, and it's um, and it's hard as a mother not want to make her feel better. <laughs> this is what I do as a mother, and this is what I do as a friend to any you know. So, um, but she did not does not want any interference. She does not want anything, and she's made that clear in other times too. So it's like I was thinking with the practice is sitting here and I'm sitting, but I'm I'm listening, but not resisting acting. You know, just saying okay, okay. To be in the connection is to to feel into it. It, it is painful. It's not like I'm not feeling it. It's painful, but to um to just to be here, to still be here, 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 and not going away, but not push, not trying to push it away or acting any way to change that. And it reminded me how when I was younger or maybe other times when I'm having a hard time, most people around me want to say, oh, you can do this, do this and do that. Or here, can I give you this? Or, and how that is that so there's something wrong with me for feeling bad, though I shouldn't be feeling bad. And so like, so, you know, so that was one piece that I'm learning. I thought this is, so thank you so much for the teaching that sort of that just like being with what is. And then, um, 
and the other things, then I thought of like equanimity in terms of great pleasure, like leaning into another scoop of ice cream or another episode or something, how easy it is for me to just lean into it without even pausing to contemplate what my practice is. And, and so here speaks equanimity, also just staying put, enjoying that pleasure, enjoy it completely, but whether not needing to, to act, you know, not needing to have more, not needing to really lean into it more than, than what it is and just leave, leave it as is. Yeah. So, thanks. Another beautiful reflection. I'm sure your, I don't know, your daughter, maybe 10 years later, will really appreciate. <laughs> um, so, Ram. Um, thank you for this teaching. So, we had a good discussion in our team. And one thing I, is, there's a question here as well. I've been trying to understand equanimity both as a parimi and the sound factors of awakening. One particular area I'm focusing on lately is equanimity as I'm listening and engaging with the people, right? As I'm doing that, I'm getting slightly marginally better, but I'm also noticing all the conditioning I have within me as I'm listening and engaging with others. So, and as such, I may not be fully present for them because of my conditionality or my biases, whatever it may be, as practitioner, can you offer any tips, teachers here, in terms of uh, trying to not so much suppress the conditioning, but try to overcome the conditioning aspect? Any of my co-teachers would like to say a few words? I guess I would mention what, when you were speaking, what came to mind was something I've heard from Venerable Analio, who says that um, true objectivity is complete acknowledgement of our subjectivity. Mm-hmm. So it's really a matter of knowing what all of these tendencies, biases, etc. So the more you learn through practice about your own mind and just, you know, your own conditioning, that's what it is. It is what it is. Um, that is what frees you from um, uh, getting that entangled with other people when you're talking mm-hmm. with them. So you just know it's there and then keep opening to, to them. Yeah. I feel so like really my open. generosity of attentiveness is being challenged. <laughs> yeah. It, and then in the end, it, it gets challenged. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so the last uh, few, um, Randy, Amira, and Jerry, those are the last three we'll take. So um, Randy, please. I just had a very quick question. Um, there is a an understanding and teaching uh, by Longchenpa in the Nyingma tradition that equanimity is first. Equanimity is the foundation for the Brahma Viharas. And so we're kind of touching on that with equanimity as a base of uh, love and that connection. And so I'm wondering if that is an understanding in uh, Theravada or Pali Canon tradition too. It, it seems like we've had, uh, you know, a few questions around this, right? Vipassakos from earlier and the mention that in later Abhidhamic tra- tradition, the commentarial tradition, that there is a place for sort of equanimity that pervades, um, pervades the practice. And then 
at least I, but I think others too have pointed toward the um, place for, um, or just the, the central place that establishing or cultivating equanimity have not as a destination, but a, as a means. So, so I think, I think those things do, I think, I think in a way we do um, begin, I don't know that we place it first. I'm not sure it's linear. A lot of this isn't linear, but that it is, um, it's available as a way to um, support practice. So it's both a condition and we see that in Majma 7, that it doesn't end with the cultivation of equanimity, but rather that equanimity is, is both something that um, emerges in practice and then is a condition, is, is, is a condition with which other things co-arise. So anyway, I hope that gets to some of that point, Randy. I don't know if Diana, Kim, or Yang have other thoughts. Maybe I'll just say briefly, in this tradition, you know, with a recognition, you know, that, of course, the Brahman Viharas changed as time went on. I, I would say probably uh, loving kindness is tends to be the foundational practice for the Brahman Viharas. And then it's this warmth, this love that, as it meets different conditions, gets uh, transformed, if you will, into the other Brahma Viharas. So it's a little bit, and that's partly why we're calling this the capping off 2020, the capstone is this idea that equanimity is less the foundation and more the capstone. All right, to the uh, Mira, um, I just, uh, in um, considering the timing, we have another teaching. So if uh, we could keep uh, the questions um, Maybe a, a brief that be supportive of the group. Okay, Mira, please. Uh, I don't have a question. I had something I wanted to just offer into the room. If that's, but I and I think it's brief. Yeah, go yeah. go ahead. It's uh, it's uh, for those of us who are. Um, quite literally literal minded often um, that with an idea like flavors, which I appreciate and also have to go through some translation with um, not only because equanimity is sometimes talked about as tasteless um, or flavorless, which I really um, love. And uh, that, that, Another kind of sense, other than the, the taste sense, is um, a spatial sense, which I find really great with with equanimity. And to mention that, um, and this might relate to Natalie's question earlier. I'm not sure, but that that um, Upeka has this sort of sense of right from above. I think of sort of skating on ice. This like smoothness ice, cool, this, that, that sort of relationship to things. So it's, a, it's cooler. While um, Tatra Maja Tata really has this feeling more like a bowl, right? So Maja's the middle. It's really you're there in the middle and it's, you're kind of being held. So it's like sitting in the middle of the flames. So there's a, the equanimity there. It's a warmer equanimity or it's pretty hot equanimity and possibly and um, – but that the relationship is, is um, well, already that's a lot of words, but one's cooler and one's warmer and um, 
one's maybe has some more distance and one's really there. So, Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Jerry. <clears throat> um, in many ways, I really still don't know what equanimity is, but my patience allows me to wait. It'll come to me. Something to do with balance and holding. Uh, so I'm at a retreat right now, and um, this is not the first time, but this is a good example because it happened this morning. Uh, I was feeling vitality, joy, and even exuberance. And then all of a sudden I realized that this must be some form of equanimity because, as you all may know by now, I can be sort of reactive and intense. It was turned, the equanimity just turned the volume down. And I got to sit there and really be with it without too much excitement and my back hurting and rising off of my chair. And I got to study it a lot more because it was being held in very loving, in a very loving dharma. Yeah, it was just, it was unbelievable, actually. And exuberance within quietness and stillness is a very interesting experience, actually. So... Uh, that's all. Thank you. So happy for you, Jerry. So we got to move on. Diana. Thank you. Thank you all. It's uh, wonderful to hear from everybody. Yeah, so equanimity is one of the Brahma Viharas. And maybe at first blush, we might think like, well, what, what does equanimity have to do with these other heart practices? Maybe, uh, you know, I'm even using this word heart, which kind of implies a sense of warmth and a sense of connection. And we might be thinking like, well, equanimity, it seems like a good idea. Maybe because we could somehow... Uh, maybe uh, maybe it's not so in the front of our minds, but in the back of our minds, we might have this idea that it maybe can help us disconnect from difficulties or help us to not be so bothered by what's happening. And But uh, equanimity as part of the Brahma Viharas and the Brahma Viharas, including equanimity, they really inform and infuse each other. So, the heart qualities, I'm using this word to express the Brahma Viharas, that is loving kindness, compassion, and sympathetic joy. When it, it helps keep equanimity, like uh, have a warmth and vibrant and upbeat uh, quality to it, as opposed to this indifference and disconnection that we might uh, slip into, that equanimity we could slip into as a way to not be bothered is one way we might uh, kind of have this cool indifference that comes from a disconnection and as a kind of a bypassing from what's actually happening. But with um, equanimity with the, um, infused with the heart qualities, we could have um, equanimity with loving kindness, for example, brings in some of the warmth. And if sometimes equanimity gets a little bit too analytical is a way in which we um, are disconnecting or not uh, fully engaging, but just in um, using our minds, we can, this, the compassion can come in and help us to care and to connect with our experience. Or sometimes equanimity can slip into being a little bit aloof 
and um, not uh, connecting with the difficulties, but also not connecting with the positive things, but standoffish. So equanimity with this flavor of sympathetic joy allows this um, sense of positivity and kind of like this uh, uplift that might be. So bringing in some of these other qualities, letting that infuse the equanimity helps it to have this uh, vibrance and um, upbeat. And I'm using the word warm and connection, but maybe you have some different words, some different ways of to not be disengaged. But also, of course, it works the other way. That, um, that equanimity helps uh, balance the other uh, Brahma Viharas, that loving kindness without equanimity can slide into attachment, you know, clinging or um, some conditional love. You know, I'll only love you or care for you if the conditions are this particular way. Or um, the same is true as compassion, that equanimity can help um, compassion which is this capacity to connect and care about others when there's some difficulties arising, some suffering. And then with um, equanimity, when it comes in with compassion, can help it from compassion not slipping into pity or empathy in such a way that we get so identified with the other person's suffering, it triggers our own suffering. And then we go into a sense of overwhelm or something that's uh, not so helpful. And because empathy is important, but it can lead to this um, over-identification in which we just feel, um, um, we ourselves start to feel the difficulty, or it can even like flip into some cruelty. In the same way that um, equanimity with sympathetic joy helps sympathetic joy not slip into, well, what about me? So as when we are seeing somebody, they have some good fortune or they're having some well, something that's going well in their lives. If we have the sympathetic joys infused with some equanimity, it could help us to celebrate the good things that are happening to everybody around us and recognizing that there isn't a fixed amount of goodness, quote unquote, right? Just because others are experiencing goodwill doesn't mean that there is any less available for us. So in this way, that equanimity can kind of infuse the Brahma Viharas, and the Brahma Viharas can help kind of balance and um, infuse uh, equanimity. And then maybe I'll just um, say this one last thing, too, is that maybe this isn't so um, explicit, but uh, the Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, they help us to have a sense of happiness, a sense of well-being, a sense of okayness that's independent of the conditions of the world in the sense that um, just when, when we cultivate these qualities in the heart, it helps us to have a, this well-being which then it's so much easier to have equanimity that comes from this sense of well-being. So doing these heart practices is a way in which we can create a resource inside of ourselves. We can um, be filled up in some kind of way. So that equanimity is easier to arise. It's easier to um, 
feel generous or to feel um, not feel blown over by experiences when we ourselves know how to connect into feelings of love and care and tenderness, both towards others and towards ourselves. So when we are no longer dependent on having everything just being perfectly uh, the way that we would like, but instead have um, know that it's possible, if not at that moment, just to know that it's possible to have uh, this resource of love and care, it's much easier to be equanimous, much easier to be equanimous. So this is one way in which the um, heart qualities just help uh, with the cultivation and the development of equanimity. Okay, so now um, I think I'll send this over to David and who can uh, wrap it up for us. Yeah, um, to, to pass it over to David, who will try to help everybody leave with a, a spring in their step. Um, yeah, we wanted to share, we wanted to give you two things, sort of an overview of where we are, and then some ideas for homework, that is kind of how to take some of this between now and Saturday and, and incorporate it in your, in your practice. First, um, just to sort of give a sense of, of kind of how we're seeing this. And I think in a way that addresses several kinds of questions and discussion that have come up today. Um, this is kind of our view of um, seeing equanimity as a capstone and um, getting back to this bigger question of, well, is this how it appears in the suttas? You know, this is a way it's available to us. And that seemed to the four of us to be a rich way to bring this into our practice at the close of this particular year. And the Dhamma's like this. It allows us to make it relevant to where we are, where we find ourselves, the challenges. Uh, and again, thanks for a couple of people for sharing personal challenges today. It gives a real sense of, yeah, what the kinds of things we're up against this year and frankly, in and out of all years. Uh, stuff comes up. We don't get to choose the challenges. And this year seemed like uh, a reminder that we can view equanimity as in various ways serving as a capstone for our practice. Tuesday, we talked about Upeka's place among the seven factors of awakening. Today, we've sort of placed it in the context that is the textual context and also some of the context that comes from the oral tradition in the context of the Brahma Viharas. And Saturday, we'll take a look at it in the context of the uh, Samadhi practice where it also features or figures, I should say, as a capstone practice. We will, of course, not only continue to build this out over the next couple of days, but share it with you. Uh, so don't worry, you will see it again and, um, and uh, be able to look at it. By way of homework, um, we say homework, we always smile because uh, of course, nobody's gonna be checking anybody's homework, but we have a couple suggestions. One is to take a look at the suttas again. As somebody pointed out in a comment, uh, who was that uh, earlier today? Somebody said just, they didn't put it this way, but they implied that these suttas are incredibly rich and deep and that re reading them in advance and then returning to them and rereading them um, opens up each time, literally each time, new, new things, new perspectives. And um, this is part of the study and practice mode that we want to kind of incorporate in these classes as returning to them. 
It might be interesting to look, for example, at this condensed version, which we produced of Majima Nikaya 7 for today, and uh, look at the full version. <clears throat> because <clears throat> in, in essence, what we've done is kind of draw attention to a logic, you know, and we might on another occasion, condense it and bring attention to another feature. There's a lot of different ways to look at these, and it might be interesting to compare that condensed version and the logic that appears there uh, and um, with, with the, full, the full sutta, which is not a, a huge long one, but has a lot of other things going on it, plenty of stuff to mystify and intrigue us in addition to what we've, what we've shared. Um, and then on the practice side, and I always like to emphasize this, um, when we say study and practice, by practice, we, we really mean in, in, large, in, in significant part, the meditation practice. And I think what I would um, emphasize, and I, you know, we have time, I might pass it off back to Kim Ying and Diana to see if they have something to add on this aspect of the homework, which as a, somebody in the chat has pointed out is humorous for number, <clears throat> numerous reasons, because uh, we're all more or less at home, which yeah. It's good. Good point. Whoever said that, that's that's it brings a smile to the face. But um, when when we say something like, and we throw these phrases, we bandy around these phrases sometimes without thinking uh, of them too carefully. But we say to cultivate equanimity. I just want to make this kind of precision that in the practice, the meditation practice, whether whether it's the Brahma Vihara practice that we talked about today or any, you know, your familiar home practice. Um, part of it is watching, looking for equanimity as Ying guided us, finding it, discovering it where it emerges. And we cultivate it by bringing attention to it. That's how we understand these teachings. It also seems to be a part of the practice that's supported by neuroscience that when we bring attention, when we show up for the equanimity that's available there, that is its cultivation. So that means we look for it and we notice when it's there and we notice when it's absent. We don't have a value judgment about it. We're exploring it, understanding the conditions that support its arising. And when it arises, as Ying led us to in the guided, we lean in toward it. We notice how it opens the heart, perhaps, or we notice how it can lead to seeing clearly. We take the path, we, we follow the path where it leads. So when we say cultivate, don't, don't, don't try too hard. Just pay attention as, as the teachings remind us. Pay close attention, be curious, and be open, be kind. And equanimity uh, is there. Diana, Ying, Kim, anything to add in the remaining uh, couple of minutes? It was beautifully said, David. Um, Kim, are you in a close? Hmm? Can you dedicate merit? Absolutely. So um, we've already had two wonderful days of practice together. Let's gather them, both of those up and uh, imagine that our practice has a way of spreading out uh, to other beings. Of course, the ones that we connect with in our own lives, perhaps the people we live with, but also these days, the ones that we see on the screen or that we're connecting with over email. And there's a way in which um, the simple love, the basis of loving kindness in our heart, our intention of non-harming, um, 
connects in to all beings that we meet, the equanimity portions that we don't have any favoritism. And may it be that everyone that we touch today somehow feels the warmth of our heart um, in direct or indirect ways. And from there, it may spread out even farther. So through all these unseen pathways out into the world, um, may the benefits of our practice spread far beyond this group. May all beings be touched by happiness and peace. Thank you. So till Saturday, everyone. Yep. Feel free to unmute and say goodbye. Say goodbye. We'll off to the next thing. Thank you. 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 Thank you.